So, hello everybody. Um, today, ESG seems to be on uh, everyone's lips, especially in the investor community, among financing institutions and among us in ethics and compliance. And today, uh, we have a really interesting uh, discussion. I uh, am Anna Romberg, and I'm one of the founders of the Nordic Business Ethics Network. And I'm also working day to day with legal compliance and governance challenges and opportunities within medical technology field. And I'm joined here today by uh, Samuel Hall uh, and uh, Anna Haver, two experts from Frank Partners, who is the boutique consultancy firm focusing on the ESG advisory. Uh, and Sam and Anna, I'm so privileged to have this discussion here with you today. And why don't you start with introducing yourselves a little bit more to our audience? Absolutely. Um, so my background, and, and in fact, um, it might be worth saying just from um, perspective of, of FP as well, you know, we were born out of working um, in the intersection of compliance and event-driven transaction-linked business intelligence and risk consulting. Um, and that's really evolved over time uh, to meet um, the needs um, of, our, of our own clients. And I've worked in the consultancy space in London um, and um, elsewhere in Europe for um, quite a long time now. I'm not going to say how long, um, and spent um, recently around seven years uh, working in-house with a large multi-strategy hedge fund. Um, and in that role, they are supporting kind of on a research basis, um, a diverse set of very research-driven um, investment strategies. So that's unpacking um, all sorts of elements that kind of feed into the process, mostly on a qualitative side of things. Um, and uh, that's you know, given me a, a very interesting perspective from a public markets perspective um, on some of the work that we're doing here. So my ESG credentials are in development, should we say. Um, I'm new to FP as of May. Um, so uh, this is a very interesting space for me. <clears throat> I'll pass to Sam, who's, um, you know, got a, again, very complimentary profile, I would say. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, thanks very much, Anna. Um, in some ways, our profiles are quite similar in that I've also come from business intelligence, compliance and investigations, a uh, little bit of uh, political risk consulting thrown in the mix there as well. Um, I differ a little in that I've uh, also come with a little bit more, uh, I've, I've come with experience in, in different jurisdiction. I spent quite a lot of my early career in uh, mainland China and, and Hong Kong, but essentially, um, I've also come to, to ESG from a similar perspective. And I think it's a perspective that our clients really value. It's, it's sort of a healthy mix of, of skepticism as well as a very commercially minded approach to things rather than just pointing out the risks. It's, um, as, as Anna said, sort of planning this out in a more um, pragmatic and management consulting uh, approach to things that makes things commercially viable because at the end of the day to, to be impactful, um, it has to be commercially viable and, and a good business proposition as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been at, at FP doing ESG for the last three years at, at least, and that has been very much about translating a lot of um, the great um, tools and understanding that we know from ethics um, and compliance to this world of ESG and, and impact investing and sustainability, which 
can be quite confusing at times with all the different um, jargon and terminology, but also with how quickly it's changing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what what I what is very interesting with both of your your profiles is that I mean you are very fact and research driven, and I think that's uh, you know what what I've recognized with Frank Partners as as well is that it's all about you know the data, the facts, and taking the very general to very specific, and what does this mean for a particular company or organization? Because I think that's that's where we have to be to look at the real impact and the real risks. But before we go there to the specific, I will throw out a very difficult question, I know. Uh, But could you please help us to define the G part of ESG? So what is is that? Uh, Anna, why don't we start with you? Um, So, (laughs) well, what a question. I mean, it's it's fundamental, I think, to 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 engaging um, with compliance in a corporate investment setting. Um, governance is um, is ultimately what is required for good stewardship of a company. But then, Sam, what what is your take? How would you you know provide a concise definition of of G? Yeah, I think G is essentially a way of organizing. Um, our thoughts and and our approach to our impact. So we've had E impacts, we've had S impacts um, forever, really. Um, Business ethics and and businesses being in the world is, of course, not a new thing. Um, But what we have seen is a little bit too siloed approaches or um, just measuring things and not really putting them in context, perhaps, is what governance is. So to name an example, if you have science-based targets for reducing emissions, that is even a form of governance because it's agreeing on a certain framework and a certain um, parameter uh, within which we're going to operate. And then, of course, the implementation and and how you actually want to to, um, allocate responsibility and find ways of uh, operationalizing that within business are also governments, but essentially yeah. it is a way of organizing things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a brilliant definition. And, and I would like to, to say that many of the problems that we see in the world today are governance issues. They are a result of poor governance. The, the, the environmental issues, the social issues, corruption, it is because of poor governance. And what, what's interesting to see now is that, uh, the responsibility of fixing these issues is put on companies or organizations or the private sector. And uh, because more and more regulation is coming out and, and saying, okay, now as a company, you need to fix the environmental problems. You need to deal with the corruption issues. And uh, one could argue that companies or the private sector is sort of tasked with fixing problems that the governments have failed with. I don't know what's your take on on that sort of uh, that line of argumentation. And I think there's an interesting point there. Um, is you know I I think from a social perspective, um, I think there's been you know customers, consumers, the general public, and you and I, on an individual level, have um, actually for for quite some time been given that uh, accountability, responsibility, 
um, to to deal with a lot of these these issues. I mean, certainly as far as the the E on the environment side of things goes. So it is quite interesting that there's has been you know and I think it's very relevant to say that we might push it up the chain, so to speak. You know that the the onus then comes to be on companies, um, and I think you know good governance within a corporate setting. Is is actually taking responsibility and accountability for doing for, for you know operating in a responsible and ethical way, um, and uh, it would be really great to see government doing the same thing in that context, um, and you know arguably then providing the context within which companies, corporates, and individuals can act. Um, now, how that happens, and 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 whether that could only happen um, within kind of a, a, a kind of an improved regulatory framework is um, is another thing. But um, I think it's 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 a very interesting um, corollary there to, to to look at how yeah. how that's uh, responsibility is constantly being pushed around. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. And and I think that's what um, companies and organizations perhaps are struggling with as well to find you know what is our role here and how can we approach this yeah absolutely i think top of mind for many of our clients is, is greenwashing because it is so in the media at the moment and sort of connects to what both of you are saying we're seeing more enforcements um from regulators we're seeing you know raids on asset managers or we're seeing uh clampdowns on on certain other environmental claims um but, you know, at the same time, it is also coming from consumers and this sort of groundswell awareness of, of potential issues. And I think it's important to, to remember that the risk of greenwashing um, is is one that can be um, intentional or, or rather greenwashing can be um, done intentionally. But also if, if you're not aware of what your impact is, um, if you're not strategizing that and if you're not... Um, approaching that in a governed way, then it's very easy to accidentally be greenwashing or to put it in sort of plainer terms is mis-selling, right? Um, this is also something that's not new. It's, it's a particular type of mis-selling and there's greenwashing for for environmental impacts, there's pink washing for gender related things. And we could keep adding colors and different types of washing, but at the end of the day, this is a type of mis-selling and it's, uh, it speaks to um, a misunderstanding essentially of, of what your business is doing and, and what its impacts are. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's a brilliant point that it's really misunderstanding what this all, all, all is about. And I think one of the, the issues that we, we've seen with the whole sustainability agenda, which is now translating into the ESG agenda, is that it's all about the reporting. Right. And we see the regulation also, the taxonomy, well, the human rights related regulation that's that's, you know, about to come out, that it's about how you as a company report on these things, which is, of course, a good thing. You should tell investors and the wider public, your your customers about what you are doing. But but I'm afraid that we lose sight of, of the the actual work and the actual impact and we focus too much just on on the reporting side. And here I know that there is a debate going on uh, about the role of auditing. And I would say auditing is is part of good governance to actually go in and and check, either checking yourself uh, and, and your figures and numbers or what you're reporting, but also auditing further along uh, the, the chain. And uh, 
there are both risks and opportunities here, but I, I'll, I'll sort of pause my personal personal opinion here. But I would, would like to hear then, what, what do you think uh, about the role of auditing, social auditing in, in this context? Is it is it a good thing or, or do you see more risks than, than opportunities here? Yeah, I mean, I think social auditing is essential given how globalized um, our supply chains are. We need to understand what is happening in them. And unfortunately, um, trust and, and standards only go so far there is not to blame certain uh, countries or uh, companies or even you know actors on a on a lower level, but rather um, there are just so many variables. And if you want to be um, making accurate claims within your reporting, then you need to have checked it. So I mean, let me make this a little bit more concrete. Let's say with a, with an example that some people may be aware of, but it's it's not quite as prominent um, as let's say um, retail clothes, which everybody kind of knows. Okay, there are very um, complex uh, supply chain issues on the social side there. But take canned tomatoes, right? Everybody knows them. They're just, um, they're very common in a supermarket. You don't really think twice about them when, when you buy them. But um, if you've been paying attention to, to some parts of the media, you will have seen that there are uh, potentially very um, serious labor condition uh, concerns for that supply chain, social um, and labor problems in the supply chain, probably not because, you know, if I run this business, I know it's fairly low margins. So low labor costs are quite important. So, you know, you think logically down the line and you realize, okay, therefore my labor might be at more risk. So I'm going to have to do proportionally more to protect them or, or have um, some insight into uh, the standards and, and securing them. So in answer to your question, essentially, yes, social auditing is extremely important, but um, as long as it remains only a snapshot in time and, and ticking that box to say, okay, I got an A or I got, an, I got a B, it's good enough, then um, other problems will emerge elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all about what do we do with the data? What do we do with, with that information, right? It's not auditing for auditing's sake, but it's really, okay, how can we then have the appropriate impact uh, that we, we do want to have? And for, for me, uh, a sort of core part of, of governance is, is really increased regulation. It's more laws. It's something you, you have to comply with. And, and I'm wondering if... Um, we, with that, will see a risk of moving towards the risk for the company. So what if we do not comply? There will be sanctions, there will be fines. So ultimately, the human rights risk or, or poor, the risk for poor governance, it's a company risk. And for, you know, I think that's really, really dangerous because it's, it is not ultimately a company risk. But how do you think we should manage this and how do you go about with your clients that perhaps look at ESG or poor governance as it's, it's a risk for us to turn that around and say, no, let's look at the real risks here. Anna, what are your reflections here? I think that it's... You know, the, 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 in the end, I mean, you, you look at the way that regulation evolved around sort of FCPA, for example. I mean, and that did put the onus very much on the company, um, on the company to uh, not only for their own um, sake in terms of, you know, corrupt practices, it's information. I think we saw with some of the more 
governance focused regulatory um, frameworks like um, like Sarbanes-Oxley, for example, um, which was about uh, financial reporting, um, that there was actually a really kind of yeah after after the kind of the huge burden of implementing um, you know all of the internal processes was um, was kind of you know they climbed halfway up the mountain and realized that actually by streamlining um, their reporting internally um, and gathering a lot of this information, it actually enabled um, business leaders to make better decisions. Um, it's it's one of those things. I think I think businesses will need to accept that there is work to do. Um, that yeah. there will be a big onus on them and on their compliance teams internally to get very sophisticated about how they gather information. But hopefully, it would be you know hopefully there is a helpful element to this. Um, you know to turn it around that there is you know a, a positive um, impact on. Um, making informed business decisions um, yeah. on managing those risks um, because you know they're regardless of regulatory frameworks and then the ESG side of things you know if you're implementing a kind of good governance program that incorporates the E and the S concepts it's you know it's that's responsible business you know it's um, yeah. it's it's a it's you're having internal frameworks that allow you to kind of be more efficient uh, yeah. maybe that's yeah. the point yeah no. I- yeah, no, I, th- I think that's that's exactly ho- how it is. You should you should really view it as something that you you do because it's well, we say it's good for business, it's good for the environment, it's good for the society. Mm. It's, it's being a responsible steward in that sense. But then I thought it was really interesting, Sam, the example you brought up with the canned tomatoes because you said there the margins are very slim, so you know that the workers who are ultimately picking the tomatoes out in the field, they are not getting a lot. And I I think that's also really, really a critical reflection that we must have, where I think the sort of people, planet, profit approach, where profit has been put before people and the planet, I do think we need to reconsider this and say, okay, are we... Are we really able to make the same profits and at the same time making sure that we are not violating human rights or or jeopardizing the environment and so on? Is it as part of good governance to reconsidering those profit distribution models? And I think this this is quite sort of a bold move and there are different schools of thoughts where some say that sustainability and ESG should be profitable and then assuming that the shareholder should get equally much but if we have a stakeholder approach maybe that's not you know where where we should be going i don't know how willing are your clients which you know are in the private equity field or investors how willing are they to listen to this sort of saying that hey but maybe you should reconsider a bit the profit distribution model yeah i think it's a very interesting uh question that probably will take a very long time to, to sort of bear fruit or, or um, have sort of significant developments in that um, direction. I can see um, there, are, there are many arguments for and against that, and I can already hear some of our clients to answer your question saying, well, you know, our responsibility um, is a fiduciary one to our um, investors and, and our financial commercial stakeholders as well. And so the way that the whole system is set up at the moment, um, another form of governance is essentially um, around profit motives um, to a large degree. And I think, you know, without sort of 
going along um, the line of, of whether or not ultimately another uh, system would be more functional, let's say, in this sort of more distributed um, stakeholder model of, of dis- distribution of pro- profits or understanding of how you sort of include those factors. I think what a lot of ESG is trying to do is use existing market mechanisms um, but complement them with regulation. So try to essentially force things to be priced in um, rather than uh, tipping the whole system on on its head, which I think, um, again, you can argue for and against um, whether that would be feasible or ideal or, or, or whatnot. But um, I think many people feel that the momentum and, and the sort of um, way that businesses operate makes that quite difficult to actually implement. So best to at least start with regulation that helps uh, create clear signals and create clear costs. So, you know, coming back to what we were talking about on supply chain um, burden or opportunity of, of understanding your supply chain, I think it's important for our clients to know that it's it's always proportional, right? So if you're a smaller business, you're only going to be expected to do um, what is within your power and your resources. Um, and on, on, on the flip side, you're also only going to be punished to that extent as well. So that may be perhaps um, something in the direction of what you're hinting at in that everybody is sort of um, required to be responsible to the extent that they can um, without sort of having that mandated necessarily, um, at least under the current system. At the moment, I would say probably public markets um, and their participants aren't maybe leading that shift, but they're kind of waiting to be led by it. Um, and, you know, insofar as we see the world is really shaped by asset managers, whether that's private equity or, or, or public public markets, um, um, there is... You know there are there are other stakeholders involved. There is this kind of you know there's this accepted um, principle that the shareholder is king and that everything is in in order to maximise shareholder value and that is a fiduciary duty um, for a public company director, for example, or or an asset manager. Um, and um, I think you know where you have um, market sort of investors um, that are maybe family offices, um, you know, there's younger generations who are looking at a, a slightly different mandate for how they want their, their funds to be managed. They're, 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 you know, looking at a more sustainable future. You've got, um, you know, pension funds where arguably you have people kind of involved that um, maybe have a slightly different outlook. There are people who are investing their pensions specifically in ESG related funds. Um, and let's not get onto greenwashing and, 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 and everything again. But, um, you know, the the mandate that's being given to um, business leaders and investment managers is evolving. There is this kind of, you know, interaction there, like society is changing, society attitudes, political attitudes. It will push market attitudes in that direction too. Um, I think that it's going to increasingly be the case that asset managers will have to answer to um, investors with ESG mandates that are going to say, yeah. yes, but, um, you know, yeah. it's it's not, it's no longer just about, about money and profit. Um, and it would be very interesting to see how that ends up shaking out um, for businesses and for investors. Um, but yeah. probably, as I say, it's, um, it's, it's, growth will have to concede a bit of ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is something, let's come back to that, you know, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. let's say t- two, two years from now, let's come back to this and see, because the, the, yeah. 
the the you know there is clearly a movement around this and i think it's it's something that cannot cannot be stopped but let's see what direction it's going to take but this has been a hugely interesting discussion and i think we should start wrapping up but i do have to once again ask a bit of a difficult question uh, i realized that uh, but but especially sam considering your your background living in china you you speak fluently mandarin as well uh, talking about this shift you know business politics good governance uh, how should we approach china and i think now the time that we are living in is is the whole you know with trade sanctions with russia how companies some companies makes you know political moves towards doing business with russia and in that context we 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 have to talk about china as well Uh, so, what are your your sort of quick reflections on, on this topic? Because I realize we could have a separate podcast just discussing this as well. Right, certainly. I mean, it's such a complex um, issue, you know, partly because of the size and importance of um, the Chinese economy <clears throat> and how entangled we are with it. We've seen that so clearly uh, throughout the pandemic, and how there have been so many, you know, supply chain blockages because of limited. Um, limitations on on production as well as the shipment right so i mean just from that very purely um connectedness point of view it, it's obvious that we're going to have to face this question there's no sort of just getting out of it by saying everybody leaves the chinese market because um they they don't like how certain things are done there and then you know once we've sort of come to terms with that that China is is part of the world and and part of our economic systems and and we also want to be um, doing business with with a large you know proportion of let's say the population and and businesses and so forth that are not necessarily political. How do you deal with the risks that are also there? So I mean, the first thing is also not to be naive. It's about you know not being um, scared to to talk about uh, certain issues, whether that be Uh, human rights issues uh, to do with forced labor in in Xinjiang, but also there's many other potential things that you could uh, identify. It, it could be about the political system itself um, and what the risks are. Let's say to give a concrete example, there are many providers of technology that feel like, okay, my technology, my software, um, I don't see any immediate uh, labor issues there. But how is it being? uh implemented or or what is it being used for or what um wh how could it be abused under a different um political system and essentially this comes back to what we've been talking about right it's there is no one-stop solution silver bullet for for answering how do i deal with china but it's sort of another level of governed awareness and saying okay before i make big decisions or when i'm Uh, assessing the way that I do business in China, I need to be aware of the differences and aware of it specifically um, in terms of, of what the risks are. One one simply cannot um, go to any market really without understanding fundamentally how it operates. Um, the problem is that it can we can get a little bit um, lazy in in Europe, let's say, because many of the markets do operate quite. Um, similarly, that's one of the nice things about EU. We have a lot of 
cultural understanding, we have a lot of common regulation and all of that kind of stuff makes it quite easy. And then none of that is there. A lot of that is not there when you go to China. So, I mean, a lot of it is, is um, just trying to understand how things are done differently, but then also acknowledging there are a lot of things that are um, very concerning to us, um, both on a, on a ethics um, level, but also from, from a sort of uh, values and, and political level as well. And so yeah. Yeah, being cognizant of that. Yeah, and I think we, we like to end our ethics ethics talk sort of on with dilemmas. And I think this is sort of a, a, a dilemma where we don't necessarily have a right and, and wrong, uh, but it's it's all about being informed. And I think that is for me, if I would provide a very precise definition on good governance. For me, it's about, you know, informed decision making, having the structures in place, policies in place to make sure at the end of the day, we steer things in a transparent and informed way. And then the topics, you know, that we need to be informed of, they differ depending on what company you are, what kind of business you are doing and where you are doing it. So with that, I think, you know, the takeaways for me here is that we are living in a complex world and it's all about, you know, knowing where we are and uh, knowing also what the limitations and the challenges are. But, you know, I I think we could have continued the discussions for much longer. I promise we need to come back and see where we are in a couple of years' time, how this has developed. Uh, but with that, I do thank you, Anna. I thank you, Sam, for your really honest reflections and for not shunning away from that this is a bit challenging. And we need to continue discussing, continue sharing our lessons and continue learning from each other. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having us.